One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hello, welcome to the Red Box Podcast and the Times. I'm Matt Cholley with the best of my Times radio show. Monday to Thursday, 10 till 1. And, you know, you can now listen to us on your Google Home. Uh, so you can get the Times Radio app, you can listen to us there, you can listen to us on your DAB radio, uh, online at times.radio, and now on Google Home along with all your other smart speakers or whatever you might have. Um, we're still looking for listeners in America. We've got quite a lot of them, but a bit short of getting the full 50 states. So if you uh, live in America, and we know that thousands of you who listen to the podcast do, and you want to come on our election night show in a couple of weeks time uh, then get in touch with me email matt.chawley at times.radio and we'll try and get you on the show uh, now then we're, in fact we're going international on today's episode of the podcast we did this some time ago in the early stages of the pandemic we went around the world on times radio airways to see how coronavirus is playing out in different parts of the world so we thought it's probably about time we did the same again Good morning, this is Matt Chorley, your captain speaking. Welcome aboard Times Radio Airwaves. Taking you across the world to get a coronavirus update from as many countries as we can fit in the next half an hour. We're going to go from Europe to the USA and Asia to try and get a grip on how coronavirus coronavirus is panning out and how it compares uh, to the UK. So, all aboard, take your seats please. The seatbelt sign is now on. Let's head to Spain where we can speak to Graham Keeley. Uh, they've just recorded one million cases there. Morning, Graham. Good morning. So talk us through the situation in Spain. Well, the situation is uh, pretty grim. Uh, the health minister, Salvador has said this morning on radio that more drastic measures are needed to uh, prevent this um, second wave getting out of control. So he's going to talk this afternoon to regional health chiefs to agree on what these measures will be. It's most likely that um, around the country they're going to introduce a series of uh, curfews um, and the details of those are, are have to be uh, ironed out later on. But as you can see, um, the infection rates are going up and hospital admissions have risen about 20% nationwide. Um, this means, of course, that um, uh, normal uh, operations and normal treatments for other conditions are getting postponed or cancelled. And how's the Spanish public uh, taking uh, this? I was looking at this new YouGov polling where they've, you know, all the way through the pandemic, they've been asking in loads of different countries, how do you think the government is handling it? 
in Spain, 50, it peaked back in June when 50% of the people thought the public uh, thought the government was handling it well there. It's now down to about a third. Is this having an impact uh, politically? Yes, it is. Um, basically, there's a lot of criticism of the politicians as a whole um, for getting involved in rows over um, the way to handle this uh, and not getting on and doing something. Uh, this was particularly highlighted um, in Madrid in the last few weeks where the um, Conservative regional government was insisting that um, a, a city-wide lockdown should not be imposed because they said it would harm the um, uh, economy of the capital, um, whereas the uh, central government was saying this must happen. Eventually, the central government won, won, uh, won and uh, Im implemented this uh, lockdown. Um, but yes, there's, it, it, there's uh, widespread uh, discontent with the way the, uh, the government and the regional governments, who have a lot of control over the health services, are, are handling this. And are people abiding by? You said you know, more stringent uh, rules and curfews might be might be coming in. Are people um, doing as they're told? Generally, they are. However, reports uh, surface all the time of people going to illegal parties. There was one report um, of a of a party at a castle down in Tarragona, south of uh, Barcelona, over the weekend. And there was another report of a party where the the organisers uh, advised the people who came, um, you can come in, and uh, but if we get raided by the police, uh, in, uh, tell them that you haven't paid for this, because that's the way to get around being fined. So you can see that um, although generally the public is, is wearing masks um, and people are trying to abide by the regulations, there are people who are, 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 are flouting those. Well, that's the picture from Spain there. Graham Keeley, thanks for uh, filling us in on that. Right, back on the plane we go then in our tour of the world and how coronavirus is panning out. We head to Rome now. Uh, it, um, Tom Kington, the Times correspondent in Italy, is there now. Morning, Tom. Good morning. How do things look in Italy right now? Obviously, the, the early stages, February, March, all eyes were on Italy and, and what was happening in Italy and how we, that was going to come to, to Britain uh, in time. How's the situation in Italy now? Well, Italy was meant to be on the road to recovery. Um, uh, lots of good news was coming out of Italy late summer, even, even just a month ago. It seemed to have it all under control thanks to that tough lockdown that it had endured in, uh, in March, 10-week lockdown back then. Lots of diligent mask wearing. Italy looked to be uh, in the clear. It wasn't, it wasn't to be. Uh, cases have suddenly escalated in the last couple of weeks, and uh, today we're looking at 15,000 new daily cases. Um, and, the, and the dreaded word exponential is being used as the curve just sort of shoots, shoots almost vertically up. Um, we're, we, we've had 127 um, dead yesterday, which again is, is also a, a great increase. And the number that people are looking at here is um, uh, uh, intensive care beds being occupied. We're close to 1,000. And uh, the, the word is that um, if it gets up to 2,000, that could be a kind of red line where the government starts considering a lockdown again. As it is, we already this week have... Um, curfews at night being introduced in Milan, 
and Rome and Naples. And that, that's indicative of a change, I think, in, in this second wave, which is that the big cities are being hit now. Um, in the first, the first time around, it was smaller communities, smaller towns, um, particularly in the north of Italy. Now it's gone nationwide, and there's, there's this fear now that if it really uh, gets, gets rooted in, in the big cities, anything could happen. Uh, one of the interesting things looking at the, the, the polling on this is despite Italy having uh, been seen early on to have sort of been really badly hit, is actually public support for what the government was doing has remained pretty high. I mean, it was it got up to nearly 80% back in March. It's down, but still it's it's sort of 60-odd uh, percent of people think the government's handling it well. Um, yes, I, I see that the, the personal approval for um, Prime Minister uh, Conte has slipped quite a lot. Um, he, is, he was a guy who was seen as being above political squabbling. He, he was actually a lawyer who was drafted in to, uh, to run the gov a coalition government in 2018. He's, he stayed on the job. And that, that helped him, I think, first time round because he was seen as being above the political fray. He would make these um, uh, TV announcements of uh, new measures back in March um, and was seen as quite a sort of serious guy at the helm. Yet to be seen if he can pull that off again now. Um, his, as I said, his, his polling is falling. And it may be that there's such fatigue now, there's such frustration, there's, there's such a sense of kind of helplessness that it's, it's come back. Uh, it may be that Conte suffers as a result. Well, really good to speak to you. Tom Kington there, uh, Times uh, Rome correspondent, giving us the picture in Italy. But back on the plane now. No dawdling at the back. We head from Rome to Brussels this time. Uh, Brussels correspondent Bruno Waterfield joins us. Bruno, what's the latest in Belgium? Um, well, it's, 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 it's not looking good. Um, at the moment, there's a, a national curfew for the first time since the Second World uh, War. There's a, a curfew from, from midnight to 5am. All the bars and... Uh, Restaurants are closed. No alcohol is is, is sold after um, eight o'clock at night. Um, we're allowed four visitors at home. We're allowed uh, one close contact. That's someone outside your household who you don't socially distance with, who you quote hug and kiss, according to the top uh, scientists. Can I, can I ask like who to, you've chosen? Belgians for like to uh, <laughs> Belgians like to uh, hug and kiss. I'm not telling that. <laughs> Belgians like to hug and kiss. Um, it's quite, it's, 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 it's um, important here. So infection rate is, is, is uh, high. To give you an idea, it's um, 867 uh, cases per 100,000 people. In the UK, that's 349 cases per 100,000 people. Here in Brussels, the infection rate is 1,389 per uh, 100,000 people. That's four times higher. Um, than the UK level. Um, there's talk now of um, a second uh, lockdown if the hospital admissions um, don't start coming down. Hospital admissions have gone up steeply um, over uh, recent weeks. They're now at a weekly average of, of some 320 um, a day. Um, um, that's, that's still... Uh, below the, the sort of peak times where it was almost 600 
uh, a day. The key figure again um, here people are looking at is 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 um, places in uh, in uh, ICUs and in intensive uh, in intensive care. Um, at the moment, it's 525. That's why we're in phase four. That's why we have the curfews. One of the people who's gone into intensive care today is the former prime minister, Sophie Vilmes, oh, wow. who, 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 who did the first, uh, the first lockdown. But we're still below, way below um, the peak um, period of, ice, of intensive care and at the peak on the 4th of April. And there were 1,245 people in intensive care. Um, it's now... Um, 525. It also has to be noted, although this could change because the, the peaks um, and trends are slightly different, they're slightly slower. Um, the, at the peak, um, the proportion of deaths to hospital admissions um, was 61%. At the moment, um, it's less than 10.5%. So um, the, the, the prognosis or the, the treatment seems to uh, have improved but it's 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 pretty grim i mean people all the virologists are now talking about you know the second lockdown um and what they will keep open i think they'll try to do their absolute best to keep uh, schools um open um the the government virolish virologist a very very cool customer indeed stephen van gucht he's 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 saying it's you know the next week will be the really nerve-wracking time can they uh, arrest the exponential increase um, in infections and if they can arrest that increase then we may stay in phase four into um, November, December um, but we shouldn't need to go back to the kind of confinement we saw in March. Well that's a picture in, uh, in Brussels. I'll let Bruno get back to his state sanctioned hugging and kissing with designated uh, people. If you like what you're hearing you can listen to the whole of my Times Radio show. Either listen back on the Times Radio app, or you can listen live Monday to Thursday, 10 till 1. We'll have more on the episode after this. Um, We uh, head off again then on our plane, our our whistle-stop tour of the world. So we head to Berlin now. Oliver Moody can give us the picture in Germany. Morning, Oliver. Good morning. I'd say uh, being in Germany right now is a bit like being in the attic of a house that's on fire. You can uh, (laughs) smell the smoke coming up through the floorboards and you can even see the flames sort of playing around your feet. But there's still a lot of people sitting there going, this is fine. It's not going to get me. Um, From Madrid or Brussels, Germany's situation probably looks still quite enviable. But um, we've just had a record 11,287 cases in the last 24 hours and um, the country looks as though it's going to get its 10,000th coronavirus death by the end of the week. And the Robert Koch Institute, which is the country's National Infectious Diseases Agency, has said that the pandemic is in danger of getting out of control in some parts of the country. That's really interesting, because obviously Germany is the one that lots of people in Britain say, oh, we've only done it like Germany. I think lots of people are even hearing that they've had 10,000 deaths. That, that, although that's still about a quarter of the official figure for the UK, that's still a lot more than necessarily people would think, given some of the obsession with, you know, Germany know, know how to do this. Yeah, I mean, one could certainly say Germany did a lot of things right during the first wave that the UK didn't, in particular the way that it set up its contact tracing system and expanded testing capacity very early on. But a lot of it was also just down to dumb luck and the the sort of structure of the population and where people are distributed. So um, I wouldn't idealise Germany, certainly not from a present perspective. 
Uh, now, your responsibilities uh, while in Berlin also stretched to Scandinavia, uh, which has obviously um, had a, a more of a mixed picture, Sweden in particular, um, taking a different approach. What's the picture there like now? That's correct. So um, you've got the star pupils at the moment, um, Norway and Finland, where the infection rates are still relatively low. And um, Norway's even recently announced that it's relaxing its restrictions. It's going to get rid of its midnight curfew on alcohol sales and allow public gatherings of up to 600 people. Uh, Denmark looked as though it had flattened the curve, but the cases have started to go up again now. Um, and Sweden is roughly in the same boat as Germany in terms of its infection rate. And um, they've just started imposing voluntary lockdowns in some regions. I think Uppsala was the first to go a couple of days ago. It's interesting looking at some of the um, the polling for uh, the countries in your patch. Sweden, it's sort of been a bit up and down, but I mean, it, it's still well over 50% of people think the government there has is, is handled it well. And the same is true of uh, Germany. I mean, it's, st- it's sort of even higher. It's sort of bumped around 70% for most of the summer, went up a bit. It's now sort of what, 65% according to this um, YouGov poll. So what impact is, is it having on, on the politics and the way that people view the, their, their government's handling of it? So in Germany, you have to consider two levels of of politics. There's the federal government, um, where generally um, the satisfaction ratings have fallen off a little bit, but they're still very, very high. And there's there's a sense that it's made the best of a very bad hand up to now or done about as well as it could have done. The the real kind of bloodletting is going on at, at regional level, which is where all of the real decisions of consequence are taken. And there's been an awful lot of bickering between the chief ministers of the 16 federal states and um, Angela Merkel has been very much struggling to impose her will and get any kind of uh, sort of harmonised national policy. Well, really good to speak to you, Oliver Moody there in Berlin, but also also responsible for uh, Scandinavia. Right, back on the plane, folks. Remain in your seats while the seatbelt sign is illuminated. We are in France now. Uh, earlier, I spoke to Charles Bremner, the Times Paris correspondent. I asked him how things were looking there. Things are not looking good, uh, as in other parts of Europe. The, the second wave seems to be accelerating, despite the fact that, that they imposed rather stringent um, semi-lockdowns, at least a curfew on eight cities ten days ago. The death rate is still going up. There were 162 over the last 24 hours, and that's the highest toll since mid-May. And what's been seen as the driver behind that? How, how low do the cases go down before, and why has it come back so sharply? They went down to a trickle at the end of the French lockdown, which was in May, early June. They went up again with summer. Everybody took their foot off the pedal, as they say in French, and uh, mixed around, uh, forgot about social distancing. And of course, everybody goes on long holidays and uh, the virus was rather forgotten until it popped up again in in a big way in Marseille and the south in particular around Toulouse and then came back to Paris when everybody went back to work in uh, the end of August, beginning of September. And it's accelerated in Paris since then. They are probably going to announce several more cities today and possibly extend the hours of the curfew, which at the moment start at 9 p.m. They might now make make the curfew start as early as 7 p.m. There's even some suggestion of 6 p.m., although I don't understand how that could work. Uh, and how, how tight are these curfews? What does, what does the curfew mean? Is that in your house, the door locked with no excuses? You're in your house with the door locked from 9 p.m. till 6 a.m. There are some excuses allowed. You can, uh, if you're a night shift worker, you can be out. If you're traveling by train or caring for old people, you can out. But that's about it. 
Well, so it is quite stringent. So um, what impact is this having politically? Looking at the, the YouGov tracker of, of how people think they're viewing things, um, uh, it was about 29% of people think the government in France is handling this well, which is, it's bumped around a bit. I mean, it peaked at sort of 54%, as lots of countries did at the beginning of the lockdown. It sort of bumped around a lot, but it does seem to be sort of on the on the slide. So how's this affecting Macron politically? Well, the, the French public opinion of the, of the government handling has been amongst the lowest in Europe, which is a little unfair because the, government's, the government has performed probably a little better than average in Europe. It's a partly a French response. Nobody ever likes the government in France. But um, <laughs> they're, they're, Macron's people have they've had good moments and bad moments. They, the last prime minister, Edouard Philippe, handled it very well, in, and, but he was sacked by Macron in July for other political reasons and replaced with Jean Castex, who has not made his mark. He is not, uh, not very respected in the, for having a clear line on the, on the, on the virus and seems to be um, chilly shining around on a lot of aspects of it. Uh, that was Charles Berman then, the Times uh, Paris correspondent. Back on the plane... A slightly longer flight this one, although the, um, the, the, the sound effect doesn't suggest that. But a longer flight across the Atlantic this time. We're heading to the USA, where I spoke to Washington correspondent Henry Zeffman about coronavirus there. It's bad and it's getting worse. Uh, we are in the thick of what looks like the third pronounced spike uh, in coronavirus infections since it came to America, or at least since we realised it had come to America uh, earlier this year. So we had one spike sort of April, May, uh, as cases raged, particularly in the northeast. New York City, you'll remember, was incredibly bad. Some of the states around it, such as New Jersey, also pretty badly hit. And that was the time when lots of states went into varying degrees of, of a lockdown. Uh, and then cases fell a bit, and then they surged back even higher in sort of July, August, and this time in states that hadn't been especially badly hit in the first wave and had, had then opened up. So what's called the Sun Belt, Florida, Texas, Arizona. And then they fell again, although not to that lower level. And now they're rising again, basically in almost every state. I think there's a very small handful, uh, something like five or six, where cases are, are decreasing or at least not rising. But in almost any state that you visit, uh, or indeed don't visit because of the coronavirus situation, uh, things are currently getting worse. And how is the, that playing out politically? And what's the sort of political response to that? Because obviously early in the uh, pandemic, there, was, there seemed to be quite a battle between uh, President Trump telling people, uh, you know, I'm going to lock down this state or that state, and governors saying, well, if you don't mind, that's more my business than yours. Um, so what, uh, but how, how is that this time? Who, who was sort of taking charge of the, of the, of the second wave? So I don't know if it's it, it's true as sort of popularly imagined that from the start Donald Trump was dismissing coronavirus. It was more that he, he flitted manically between taking coronavirus pretty seriously and suggesting that it shouldn't be taken that seriously and you didn't quite know which one you were going to get on any day. Now, notwithstanding his own hospitalisation, suffering from coronavirus, which was only a couple of weeks ago, you get the same Donald Trump every day. Uh, he believes that lockdowns have gone too far, restrictions have gone too far, the prevention must not be worse than the cure is, is, a, is a sort of popular phrase over here uh, among his supporters. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, it, it, we're sort of stuck in a political loop, really. You know, Joe Biden consistently has called for stringent measures at various points, suggested there could be a sort of national 
mask mandate. Uh, a lot of states have a, have a version of that in force in any case, to some degree. Uh, and, and Donald Trump is, you know, mocking Joe Biden for, for the seriousness with which he takes coronavirus or the serious seriousness and severeness of the, of the remedies that he proposes. I mean, in the first of two presidential debates uh, on September the 29th, Donald Trump mocked Joe Biden for wearing a mask at campaign events. Uh, of course, by the end of that week, Donald Trump was in hospital with coronavirus, but that does not seem to have changed his perspective on masks or on the pandemic more generally. Uh, looking at some of YouGov's country-by-country country polling, uh, the, the, <laughs> Donald Trump got the sort of smallest bounce of most uh, countries. In the, it, At its peak, only 53% said uh, the government was handling it well. That's now down to 37%, although admittedly that is still ahead of... Spain, the UK, and France. So, what? Imp- but obviously, it's more pertinent right now because there's an election in uh, just over a week. So, is this a coronavirus election, or is this uh, an election on the economy? Is it a referendum on Donald Trump? To what extent is coronavirus influencing the election campaign? Uh, it's lots of those things, but I think above all, it is the coronavirus election, which, to an extent, makes it again, a referendum on Donald Trump, because how he's handled coronavirus is so central to the national conversation about coronavirus. Uh, That was Henry Zeffman in uh, Washington there. He'll also be watching the uh, presidential debate tonight, which you can listen to overnight with uh, Callum MacDonald here on Times Radio. Seats in the upright position then. Final stop on our whistle-stop tour. We appear to have taken off twice there. Right, we head to Asia now. Richard Lloyd Parry is the Times Asia editor, uh, where things seem to be going slightly better than in Europe. Well, certainly compared to Europe and the United States, there's a, there's a sense that although things are not back to normal, they are steadily returning there. Certainly in, in Japan, in Tokyo, where I live, We were out at the weekend, and apart from the fact that everyone is wearing a mask all the time, uh, things really are are back to normal. There are are normal-sized crowds in the parks, on the streets. Places are open. I mean, to give you an idea, a a big film opened here over the weekend, uh, an animated film called Demon Slayer, and apparently nearly three and a half million people went to see that on the opening weekend. Now, in the cinemas, you can only sit in every other seat. The others are blocked out. But still, that, that's a big number for a, you know, a big film. Uh, the only thing that is not normal still is, is travel, foreign travel. So you can't come into Japan as a tourist still. But not here so much, but in other parts of Asia, there are beginning to be signs that even that is turning the corner. For example, Thailand, which is a very, very big tourism country. I mean, something like 10% of the economy there comes from tourism, so they've been very hard hit. And they've had no one, literally, for seven months. And just yesterday, they accepted the first 39 Chinese tourists who've been allowed to come in. Now, those 39 Chinese tourists have to spend two weeks in quarantine, uh, presumably in a hotel, probably quite a nice one with a swimming pool. Even so, it's not going to be a normal holiday for them. Uh, and it's really just a way, I think, for the, the authorities to kind of test out their systems. Uh, you know, they're looking at letting in about 1,200 people a month, which contrasts with 3 million people a month before all this happened. So it's small potatoes, really. But it, it's a sign that, you know, even there, they're, 
they're, they're looking ahead to the next stage of recovery from all this. Oh, so sorry. I thought I was expecting I was expecting another uh, plane sound there, but not to worry. <laughs> uh, well, we'll be coming round to collect your rubbish and any uh, old foreign currency uh, here on Times. There we go. There we go. Here on Times Radio. In fact, I feel like I'm on a plane today because the sun is really glinting off. I don't know what that is. That the cheese grater opposite uh, one of the skyscrapers opposite the news building. The sun's really glinting off. It almost blinds me. Anyway, there we are. That was our tour of the world uh, around the world in seven correspondents, I think. Trying to give you the picture of, you know, things aren't great coronavirus-wise here, but they're not great anywhere else, really apart from Asia. Richard Lloyd Parry there, uh, uh, rounding off uh, the picture in Asia. We'll do that again in a few weeks' time to see how things pan out. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box podcast. Uh, you can now listen back to my whole show on the Times Radio app, where you can also now listen to all of the Times podcasts, including Red Box too. Make sure you subscribe and review at the Red Box podcast wherever you listen. But for now, from me, Matt Chorley, it's goodbye.